We all have our own path to walk. It may be obstructed, it may be winding, and no doubt it will have peaks and valleys, but it is ours alone. Like onlookers at a marathon, friends and family can offer encouragement along the way, but ultimately we decide the trajectory that we take. In this series, Juliet Doris Williams offers a clear view from her path that may inform your decisions as you move toward finding your faith. One part spirituality, one part real world practicality, and a serious splash of fun. Here's Juliet. Hi, I'm Juliet, and welcome to Finding Faith. I'm the author of two books, one of which is Leaving Church, Finding Faith, Six Steps for Discovering Your Purpose in the World After Leaving the Christian Church, and the primary focus of this podcast. You can find both books and how to contact me on my website at julietdoriswilliams.com. I am here in this space chatting with you sometimes about the book and other things that may bubble up when we're talking about faith and life and how those two things intersect, because if you are at all like me, they always, always intersect. Hi there, Finding Faith friends. I've been quiet in this space for several weeks now. I've been referencing this time as a pause, a pause to observe, a pause to listen, more observing, less reflecting on what I was observing. In truth, there are already enough voices reflecting and analyzing, predicting, pontificating even on the world we live in and and what a world it is, a world filled with unbelievable wonder, joy, and grace, and also filled with unimaginable cruelty, sickness, and death. And this is how it's always been. We live in the tension between, between cruelty and grace, between sickness and health, between war and peace, between life and death. These are the truisms of our collective life journeys. And In the midst of all that, we try to make sense of this constant tension because it's, it's, it's not a, a, it's not a pendulum swinging back and forth that we are working with here in this world we live in. It's a, it's a spiral. It's a spiral within a spiral, concentric circles that are always moving and always changing the good and the bad are constant. They are, they are here. They are present. We seemingly only pay close attention when these things, especially the bad things, are happening directly to us or to someone we are close to. If war is raging across the world from us, it is easy to ignore it and to simply carry on with our daily lives. We have jobs to go to and families to care for, personal responsibilities that require our time, our attention, and our resources. We can tell ourselves that what happens across the world has nothing to do with us. I submit that if we've learned nothing else about these past two plus years living in the age of COVID, 
that what happens in a town market in a country or a continent far, far away can have devastating impact upon millions upon millions of lives. We've learned how interconnected we all are. Maybe we've relearned it because how do we ever forget it? But nowadays, words like supply chain are now in our everyday lexicon. The globalness of our economy is more than just an abstract concept. Many of us are learning how the resources we depend on are not spread across multiple companies, but rather are in the hands of fewer and fewer companies, which means there is no redundancy, no one to fill the business gap when one falters. And again, unless it affects us personally, we have little care on how these things, these systems of our economy work. And by the time we do notice, it's undoubtedly because the systems are not working as they should, or at least how we hoped. We learn these things when we are in crisis mode. My other book that I don't talk about a lot here in this space, I'm thinking I'm going to change that, by the way, is entitled Notes to My 25-Year-Old Self, A Spiritual Journey. That book was written, was partially written to and for my daughter in acknowledgement and celebration of her 25 years on the planet. Age 25, it's, it's a weird age, well, well into adulthood, but finally realizing that we don't actually know what the heck we are doing or where we are headed. At least that's how it was for her and for me at that age. The book was an outgrowth of some of the online discuss, discussions she and I had along with several of her friends who would chime in. It was at times a little heartbreaking and at times, other times, quite comical. It started there, but I I really wanted her to know that her journey was not unique, that life wasn't beating her up, that this was simply the journey. I did that by sharing a few thoughts on what I wished someone had shared with me when I was wandering around lost at age 25, hence notes to my 25-year-old self. The fact that I subtitled it A Spiritual Journey tells you that God and church were key players, hard facts of my life at that time. Not oppressively so, but in a fiercely grounding way. Of course, it was also a look back, a retrospective view of the life that was and the winding path that I could Now, or at least at the time that I was writing the book, I could connect the dots of the journey and I could clearly see well after the fact that the journey, this spiritual journey was instructive, that I was guided, that I was, it was, it was training ground for those present circumstances that I was living at the time. And I'm talking about this now because I am reminded that it is all a spiritual journey. And that is actually the sub subtitle of notes found at the top of the back cover. And such it is. At the time of the writing of notes, it had never occurred to me 
that the grounding force of church would be something that would be in my rear view by the time of the writing of my second book, or that my leaving church process would be the impetus, the focal point for the writing of that second book, or that rather than preaching sermons from time to time, that I would be continuing my spiritual journey and talking out loud and very intentionally to strangers and others outside of the walls of the church and sharing them across the airwaves. God is funny like that. I didn't see any of that coming. Yet here we are. A spiritual journey. Because it's all a spiritual journey. Interconnected, interdependent, associated, joined, linked together. We all have our life journeys that are they are they are simultaneously different and the same different places, different languages, different cultural belief systems. We live, we experience love, we experience grief. If we continue to live, love, and grieve, we learn things that are instructive for our future selves. The more we live, love, and grieve, the stronger we become, the wiser we become. At least that's the theory anyway. One of the things I am learning now and coming to grips with as a later born baby boomer is that life lessons, the wisdom of life, love, and grief does not live in ourselves. It's not something that can be generated in our chromosomes. I'm not sure what that says about the theory of evolution. I mean, one would think that after centuries upon centuries of war, we humans would, well, evolve. It occurs to me that it is the work of every generation to teach the new generation to pass on the wisdom. The problem, as I see it, is that we can't ever pass on something that we ourselves have not learned. This is the only way our very human experience makes sense. We do not have the peace gene in our DNA. We can only learn peace. We can only learn love. We can only learn about grief and loss by experiencing grief and loss. And the worst thing about that is that is that when we learn these things, somehow the collective we does not believe these things are universal across all humanity. Why do I say that? Because if it was universally believed that we all experience love, grief, and loss, if we could see our life experiences as universally human, we would never, ever be the instrument of harm to another human. Yet again, Here we are. Here we are. These last days and weeks have been what I call hard news days. More and more hard news days when I must pull on all my inner resources to hold on to my humanity, to hold on to my empathy, despite all the hateful voices and hateful actions of others. One of the things I do simply for the joy of it, 
is um, seasonized. I, that I made up a word. My my dining room table. I I I don't consider myself particularly artistic, but I like the feeling that certain colors induce. Occasionally, I get brave and combine things and colors just because I'm needing more of that feeling. I have a Pinterest board. Pinterest, that great time suck. Um, my my Pinterest board, one of my Pinterest boards is called Center De- Deco, Center Deco, all one word, where I collect all of these ideas on centerpieces. It has made me brave for g- good and maybe for bad and triggered my own creativity because literally there's no wrong way to do it. Some of the feelings that I try to create visually have to do with what I'm currently feeling or more to the point what I want to be feeling. So if I'm feeling anxious, I want calm. If I'm feeling angry, I want peace. So my dining room center uh, table decorations have become inexplicably therapeutic. Inexplicably because what I do creatively in that space has been until now very unconscious creativity. I'm wondering if art is like that? Probably. Probably you artists out there know. All I know or knew is that the table must reflect the season. So as I moved through the fall and holiday and Christmas season, which is the season for me of awe and gratitude, to the love season, there was a lot of brown and orange and yellow which then became a lot of greens and reds. The reds continued through the season of love. If you're tracking with me, then you would understand that we went from fall to Christmas to Valentine's Day slash month. And then came spring, at least on the calendar, it was spring. We had cold and snow for several weeks into the season where I live, but I didn't care much about that. The abstract theme of my table is that it must reflect the season. So that was all that was important to me at the time. These past weeks, as the news got darker and more frustrating, a peculiar and unusual thing was happening for me. Typically, when the news gets unbearable and I feel myself sinking into hopelessness and despair, I simply, I take a news break, focus more on self-care, which is a wise thing to do. But what's been different these past weeks is a steadfast desire to not turn my face away, to bear witness to the horror, to sit with the heartbreak of others as they navigate through war and violence, fear and upheaval, grief. As I've shared here before, I'm a person who lives with depression and anxiety. So these are hard, hard things to lay witness to over a long period of time. Harder, of course, for those who have to live through it and experience it. The curious thing happening for me now is that every time I walk through my house and around the circle that connects my three high traffic rooms, I come back to ground which for me is like coming up from despair. Some days ago, I decided to 
take my morning coffee in this grounding space that I unconsciously created. And I finally understood that it was a therapeutic space. It was another hard news day, another day where hate had driven a person to kill other humans, humans he didn't know, humans who had done nothing to him, but because of what they looked like or represented according to what the news was reporting. This was another day to find the energy to push back against the powers that create these hard spaces. Another day to bear witness. Another day to choose peace. Another day where empathy was hard to find. I've created a space in the middle of my dining room that calls, calms me, a place and space that as I walk by it several times a day, I am reminded there is hope. I'm reminded that I am loved. I am reminded there are people in the world who are doing what they can to love and not harm the one standing in front of them. I'm reminded that even in our grief, that for some of us, many of us, love remains. So today, my heart is heavy and I'm, I send love and golden healing light to all those who grieve And I also send love and golden healing light to all who fear. Why? Because fear breeds hate and hate has a devastating impact. The impact of hate is plain for us all to see. My heart goes out to all of us who bear witness, those of us who will not turn our faces away, those of us who will continue to push against the darkness. Living in the space of grace is hard work these days. We are the living examples of what this podcast is about. Finding and living the faith that love is universal for you and for me. My hope and prayer is that more and more of us will learn and know that taking care of each other as we walk through this sometimes awful and challenging and sometimes awe-inspiring thing called life, that these actions, big and small, will make a difference. My hope and prayer is that there are more and more of us that are working to be the light, more and more of us digging for empathy, more and more of us living and shining in a space of grace, more and more of us showing up to demonstrate what love for the other looks like. Soren Kierkegaard said, hope is a passion for the possible. Martin Luther King said, reminded us, actually, we must never lose infinite hope. With that, my friends, know that we, you and I, are the engines of love and light and infinite hope for the possible. It's up to each of us to do what we can wherever we are. May more and more of us live in that space of the possible. Spread the love, spread the light, be the peace, be the hope. That's all for now. Thanks for listening. Until next time, this is Finding Faith.